Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. In 1991, my 11th grade English teacher, Miss Jessen, I don't know why you I remember all my English teachers. I don't remember any other teacher, but I remember her. Uh, Miss Jessen, she was obsessed with Ernest Hemingway. I was not, and, and my F on the paper proved it. And so after getting this F, she, she asked me to stay after class, and she offered me a second chance, we, another shot at this paper. And this second chance included daily conversations with her about what I was reading, and probably because she wanted to make sure I was reading it. And uh, the book was called uh, Old Man and the Sea. And this is a book about an old man who spends much of his time by the sea. And this was the extent of my analysis in my first book report, hence the F. But my second report, I was able to write a bit more intelligently about Santiago, the protagonist in the book. Uh, so if you're listening, Miss Jessen, this is for you. Uh, Santiago, who is an old man who, in fact, did live by the sea, and yes, he... Um, he was an old man. He did live by the sea. But the, but the story goes much deeper into the human psyche. Uh, Santiago likes to fish. He's just not very good at it. In, in fact, uh, he is uh, called, he is seen as salado, which is the Spanish word. It means salty. It's the worst kind of unlucky. And, he, and he's trying for greatness, and he's, he goes, but he's just, not, he's just not good at it, but he's determined. He's determined for greatness, so he says, as long as it takes, I'm going out there until I catch something that will prove that I'm great. And so he goes for 84 days straight and catches nothing. Now, I enjoy fishing. In fact, I went fishing this past Weekend, and if I if I go 84 minutes without catching something, I mean the Lord ain't in this. We're going back to the camp, and uh, but this guy, this brother, he goes for 84 days and doesn't catch anything. But like I said, he is determined for greatness. So he goes another day, and lo and behold, on the 85th day, he not only catches the biggest fish that he's ever caught, he catches the biggest fish that he has ever seen. He catches this massive marlin, and he thinks to himself, I finally did it. I'm, people, when I go back to shore, they're going to see this fish, and, and my, my existence is going to be justified. I'm going to have greatness. But he has a problem, because he's an old man and he doesn't have the, the strength or the wherewithal or the, the resources to, to put the fish into his boat. And so he ties it up and he uh, takes his harpoon and runs it through uh, so he could carry it back to shore. But um, he has a greater problem now because now blood's in the water and sharks pick up the scent and one by one they come and they begin to whittle away at this once great shark until he gets to the shore and all that is left of this marlin is a skeleton. His, his greatness has once again eluded him. Now, most Hemingway scholars um, would say that he's, being, uh, he, he's really telling the story about himself, that really Santiago, this is a picture of Hemingway, he's looking in the rearview mirror of his life, and he's realizing that all that he has to show for his life is a skeleton, that he had achieved at, at, in many ways 
uh, all the measures of success, you know, money, check, fame, check, romance, check, but all that he had left was this skeleton. If you know anything about Ernest Hemingway, you know he's one of the most tormented souls who have ever walked the face of the earth, and many have concluded that really the message about this book, uh, about what we learned from Santiago, is that greatness is elusive, so don't even bother. Don't, don't even try. But the problem for many of us is not that we are on a quest for greatness, because I think that God has put within us the image of God uh, in us. We, 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 we have this innate desire for greatness. Ecclesiastes says that he's put eternity in our hearts. He's put something within us to pursue something that isn't transient, but is eternal. That's why things don't taste the way we think they should taste. It's why when we get to some level of success, whether it be in a job or money or whatever it is, we think there's got to be more. There's got to be more. There's got to be more. So I don't think the problem is that we are on a quest for greatness. That The problem is, is where we're fishing. When we fish for the big game of success or, or money or relationship, romance, whatever those things is, we're going to come up empty. Make no mistake, our passage this morning is all about greatness. For those who are new with us, we're in the gospel of Matthew in a series here. We have been for a few months. And in this chapter 11, Jesus draws our attention to what is true greatness. He says, truly, I say to you, among those born of a woman, that's the Bible's way of saying everyone, is uh, there has not arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. He's the goat. One of the few bright spots of the lockdown of 2020 was the very timely release of The Last Dance. And uh, man, that saved my soul, I tell you what. And so we... That documentary is about the greatness of Michael Jordan, and this rekindled uh, the debate among sports enthusiasts, who is a GOAT? Now, there's some who say LeBron is. Now, but we know those people aren't saved. We know, and I'm hoping that you would uh, join with me for the, maybe they'll come here later today and just receive repentance, just come up and confess their sin. But for those of us who have not been deceived by the schemes of the devil, know that greatness, the goat, is Michael Jordan. And uh, yeah, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And so we... Uh, and so Jesus comes in, he steps into the goat conversation. He says, I'll tell you who the goat is. It's John the Baptist. Why is John the Baptist a goat? And more importantly is, can we achieve the goat status? Can we experience greatness? He says, the least of those in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. So if you are in the kingdom of heaven and you are at least the least, which of course is the Bible's way of saying everyone in the kingdom of heaven, is that you can experience greatness. You are called to greatness. So this text tells us three ways, I think, how greatness, where greatness cannot be found and one way where true greatness can be found. It opens up by saying that John the Baptist is in prison. Why is he in prison? Well, he had the, the nerve, he had the backbone to call a spade a spade. And King Herod, don't let that title fool you, the, the Romans were in charge, but they gave uh, uh, Herod a measure of 
authority over the Jewish people. And so he was called the king of the Jews because he ruled the Jewish people. And he has an affair with his brother's wife, King Herod, that is. And this affair led to uh, the disillusion or the, the, uh, the dissolve, the marriage dissolved. And, and then he marries his brother's wife. And this is a great immorality by this leader. And, and John the Baptist, he had, no one else had the backbone to call a spade a spade, but he did. And he spoke um, of the immorality of this leader and Herod did not like that. So he throws him in prison. But here's the, the point. The point is that it was while John was in prison that he said he's the goat. In other words, circumstances, we cannot find greatness in our circumstances. Greatness is not found in our circumstances. If you are going through a tough time, maybe you've even experienced prison. One of the things I love about our location down at the lake and Seth Hine in particular is his heart for those who are in prison and how they minister to those and and maybe you've, maybe you've gone to prison and you're now looking through the rearview mirror of your life, lamenting some of the choices that you've made. I just want to tell you that you are not the sum total of your choices. You are not the sum total of your circumstances. Greatness is not found in your circumstances. Greatness is not found in those things. So if you may, some of you have been diagnosed with cancer or some other physical disease. I want you to know that your circumstances do not define your greatness, or maybe you're here and you're battling the pain and perhaps the shame of infertility, and you thought you could have a child on your own timetable, and you're finding that that's not true. And you're wondering about your self-worth. Your circumstances do not define your value. They do not define your self-worth. Jesus is saying here to an individual who is locked up that this is the greatest person of all time. Greatness is not a byproduct of your circumstances. I want to dig a little bit deeper here because John is finding himself in jail and he's pretty discouraged about it. He's pretty bummed out. In fact, he's so troubled by this that this is happening to him and he knows where his fate is going. In Matthew 14, a few chapters later, We'll find out that he is beheaded. He's, he, he gets his disciples together. He says, hey, I want you to go give a message to Jesus. Is he really the Messiah or should I look for someone else? Because I'm in prison here and if he really is the Messiah, I need him to do that like Jedi mind trick and get me on out of here. Here is John, though, the cousin of Jesus asking this question. I think the question is a little bit unthinkable because I kind of want to have a few, I want to say to John, well, wait a minute. Your mother is Elizabeth and when you were in your mother's womb and you got even in the, you even just got a sense that Messiah was near, in utero, you start doing backflips and you're now questioning he's the one or Matthew 3, you were the one, John, who baptized Jesus. Like you were there when the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus like a dove and, and you heard the father thunder from the sky. This is my beloved son whom I am well pleased. And now you're doubting that he's the one? Man, this gives me some hope because this encourages me because like there's going to be a point in your life where what you know conflicts with your experience. 
I don't care if you did a WANA, VBS, you know what a flannel board is. You're that legit. You know, if you know, you know. And there's going to be a point where your experience question or contradicts what you know. There's going to something that's going to happen to you where you're going to want to, are you out there? Because this is happening to me. This, what this is, it is a death blow. It is a sword through what is known as prosperity theology. This, I, you know, name it and claim it, confess it and possess it, nab it and grab it, whatever. That if you have enough faith, you won't get sick. If you have enough faith, you'll be healthy, wealthy, and flutter about the rest of your days in holy happiness. Now, you know, you're here. And so, you know, like you're thinking, well, prosperity theology, you know that, yeah, I get it. That's those are the crazy. They go to some other church. They're on some Christian network. That's not me. Hey, let's be honest. Prosperity theology, I think, is in a little bit of, a little bit of prosperity theology is in all of us. It's equation theology. That if I do this over here, I'll get this over here. John the Baptist, the greatest of all time, dies in prison. Sometimes you're the person you're supposed to be and it doesn't work out that way. And that brings you discouragement or it brings you arrogance because, look, you've, you're, you're, you, know, you're, you have a fruitful life. You must have done something right. You must have done something good, but it's not found in our circumstances. Let me just dig a little bit deeper. Jesus does answer him, but he answers him a bit cryptic. He answers him with uh, quoting the first message he ever preached in Luke 4, which was a quote of Isaiah. And this, the, it, was, it was prophesied of Isaiah that the person who does this is the Messiah. And in Luke 4, 18, it says, Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of the sight to the blind. He had to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That is the year of Jubilee. If you ever wonder where we got our name from, that's where we got our name from. But what's interesting is that when Jesus quotes this sermon to say that he's the Messiah, he leaves out this. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. In other words, I am the Messiah, and no, you're not getting out. Greatness is not found in our circumstances. But secondly, greatness is not found in our status. In, in verse 7, he says this. He says, as they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. If you saw a person that wearing soft clothing in society, they were associated with the king's court. They were couriers of the king. They had status. And I don't know what you know about John the Baptist, but you know, you know what he ate. What did he eat? Look, yeah, you, you know the flannel boards. And, so, and then you, or, and, and he wore what? Camel's hair and, and leather belt. I, I wanted to help you with that one. The, um, he did not have, he did not wear the clothing of status. Jesus didn't have status. He lived uh, most of his ministry life anyway, 
homeless. He did not go to the schools that the other rabbis went to. He didn't have that status. He, he, he called to himself a bunch of fishermen. They didn't have the best of the best around him. He was not a person of status. John the Baptist was not a person of status. And yet it is said of John the Baptist that he is the greatest of all time. What is he saying? He's saying that greatness is not found in your status. The same is true for you. Paul would say to the Corinthians, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Now, I got to be careful here because what the Bible isn't saying isn't that if you do have wealth and you do have status that you're out. I mean, you look in the, in the scriptures and there are people with wealth and status that did powerful things in the kingdom of heaven. I'm thinking about guys like Abraham. I'm thinking of, of women like Esther or in the New Testament, Lydia or Philemon. They had status in the world. They had wealth according to the worldly standards. But what Jesus is saying, if you have in your mind, I am going to be great by pursuing status, that is at odds. It's not mixed well with pursuing the kingdom of God. Greatness is not found in our status. Some of us think we're special because of the car we drive. Now, you wouldn't say that. We think we're special because of the zip code we live in. We're, we think we're special because of the, the letters by our name. We think we're special because of the title at work. Or we don't think we're special because of those things. Greatness is not found in status. But here's the big one. Greatness is not found in religion. God has authorized four biographies of the life of his son, Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And one of the things that sets Matthew apart from the other gospels is his audience. His audience is to the Jews. And the Jews were the most religious people ever. I mean, they went to synagogue every week on high and holy days, regardless of where they lived. They traveled to Jerusalem uh, to, to give sacrifices in the temple. Uh, they memorized the Torah, Matthew, Mark, Luke, sorry, Genesis, Exodus, <laughs> Leviticus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They, they, he, they memorized those five books and they gave like 20% of their income. The fact, the very fact, the simple fact that that Matthew writes a gospel to the religious people tell you that there is a difference between the gospel and religion. Religion says, I do, and the gospel says it's done. Religion says, uh, is works-driven. The gospel is grace-driven. Religion is about me. It's about what I do. The, The gospel is about God and what he has done outside of us and for us. Jesus kind of helps us with this that may not make sense to you without understanding the context. He likens himself, he likens John and himself to children playing in the streets. He says, listen, I want you to understand that John and I, we came to you and played the flute, but you didn't dance. What's happening here is it's a reference of what would happen at weddings, that when... um, 
the flute was played for you, it was your cue to get on the dance floor to do the electric slide or the Cupid shuffle or whatever happens at weddings. He said, we played the flute, but you didn't dance. Okay, that doesn't work. So we sang the dirge. The dirge is what, when, when the dirge was sang, sung, that it was your cue to mourn. This would happen at funerals. But we sang the dirge and you didn't mourn. We, we came to you, we, 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 we played the flute and you didn't dance. We sang uh, the dirge and you didn't mourn. What he's saying is we came to you, John and I came to you with the gospel. We came to you with the gospel truth to you religious people and you didn't respond. You didn't respond. We came to you telling you of this amazing truth of the gospel and you said, no, thank you. I will do it the way I want to do it. I want to hold on to my religion. I want to do things my way. Jesus said to you, we came to you with the gospel, but you refused to accept our invitation. With that in mind, you can, you can understand, with that information, you can understand, I think, one of the most perplexing verses in all the Bible. In, in verse 12, Jesus says, from the day of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and violent, take it by force. What he is saying, he is saying the kingdom of heaven is being abused by religious people who refuse to respond to the gospel. The spirit of religion demands to live out the life that you want to live. It's centered around what you think is right, your perspective, your interests, your, your um, preferences. So the gospel was proclaimed. You, you, know, you, you came to church. You heard the gospel. That's nice. You took your kids. You went home, and you didn't respond. We played the flute, you didn't dance, we sang the dirge, and you did not mourn, you did not mourn, you did not respond to our message. And Jesus is saying, when we do that, we do violence against the kingdom of heaven and the gospel message. Because we have to have it our way. The spirit of religion is I want to do it the way I want to do it. It is me-centered. Um, in college, the, the, four, when I, the four years I spent at Mizzou, I was a waiter. We had this guy come in every night, or sorry, every Sunday night, <clears throat> and he, he would order the, the mother of all steaks. And of course, I'm talking about the filet mignon. I mean, this thing is, it's, flavorful, marbled perfectly. I mean, it can convert a vegan. And it, it's, it's awesome. And this guy would order it, but here, here's the problem. This guy would do the unthinkable. He would order this filet extra well done. I know, exactly. Exa you know what? Actually, every time he would say it, there was a gasp in the restaurant too. And like, it was like a moral issue for the cooks. I mean, it was like an issue of justice. You know, this cow did not die just for me to burn it this way. And they just, I'm out. Like they would just walk, they just like, I can't be involved in it. Someone else is going to have to. He's like, that's not how you experience this filet. You're going to ruin the flavor. It's meant to be medium rare, medium maybe. 
But he had, this customer insisted, extra well done. He had to have it his way. And in the process, he ruined the experience. Jesus said the problem is that religious people are ordering the gospel extra well done, ruining the experience. I can come to God and run my mouth the way I want to run my mouth. I can come to God and handle finances the way I want, I want to handle finances. I can come to God and respond to the Holy Spirit the way I want to respond to the Holy Spirit. I can come to God and, and have a view of politics however way I want. I can come to God and live the life that I deem is best for me in my family. Which you'll find nowhere in the scriptures, by the way. And when we live that way, when we come to God on our own terms, in the way that it suits our individual preferences, Jesus says we do violence to the kingdom of heaven. We we distort, we ruin the experience of the gospel when we don't respond. When he plays a flute and we don't dance. When he sings a dirge and we don't mourn. Jesus said, be careful how you hear. He said in John 13, he says, blessed, he said, blessed are you if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. That the message goes out, the gospel goes out, and we respond the way we respond. There are people, so for example, like there, the Bible has clarity. There's, there's real clarity over uh, the, biblical, the, the, the biblical sexual ethic. There's real clarity over that. It's not confusing. But there are people, churches, in fact. So you know what? We're going we're gonna to exclude that. And we're going to respond. We're going to create our own form of Christianity. What, why can't they do What's wrong with that? Jesus says you do violence. Well, if I play a flute and you don't dance, if I sing a dirge and you don't mourn, or let's maybe think of this from a different perspective. The Bible is also clear about uh, the, the, a vision for ethnic unity. The Bible, uh, Ephesians 2, one new man in Christ. We were, we were separated. Sin is anything that would separate us, that would cause us not to be like really be at one heart, one mind. Anything that separates us is sinful, but the gospel brings us together. Those who you are near, those who are far away, the gospel brings us Together, all are one. There's no Jew, there's no Greek, there's no Scythian, there's no slave. All are in Christ, and Christ is in all. So clear. But maybe that, does, that contradicts how you are culturally formed. And you don't see the point. You don't know what the fuss is all about. And this is, I want to do church the way I want to do church. The Bible says we can't do violence when we respond that way. If you overhear, we, we, okay, you want, you want to talk about these issues? Here's the flute. You didn't dance. Okay, we'll come over here. We'll sing the dirge. 
You don't mourn. You want it the way that you want. When you live that way, when we respond this way, we distort the message of the gospel. We have generation right now who are confused, like what? About the church, about its message. You could see the violence that we have done in these United States with how we respond to what Jesus says. Greatness is not found in a religion. In fact, it does the opposite. You can see why Jesus says, blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Because what I have to say is offensive. Equal opportunity offender. So where is greatness found? I mean, again, I just, I have questions for John. I have questions for Jesus. How can you say that John the Baptist is a greater? What about Abraham? I mean, here's a guy who like left his hometown. He left his family, he left everything. And he goes out and he starts the, this Jewish race and he, the, the, the people that, that God's going to bless the whole world through. How can you say he's greater than Abraham? Are you saying that John the Baptist is greater than Abraham? Yes. What about Moses, the great lawgiver and liberator of people? I mean, he he led people across the Red Sea, the greatest event in the Old Testament. Are you saying, Jesus, that John the Baptist is greater than Moses? Yes. What about Esther? I mean, here's this woman who's like in the king's court and at the risk of her life contradicts the king because thinking, maybe I was born for such a time as this, therefore saving the Jewish race. Are you saying John the Baptist is greater than her? Yes. Elijah. I mean, this guy and Elisha, I mean, their, their ministry was marked by the supernatural. Miracle after miracle after miracle. As far as we know, John the Baptist didn't do any miracles. Are you saying that Elijah, are you saying that John the Baptist is greater than Elijah? Yes. What's the difference? What was different about John? His ministry was marked by preparing the way for Jesus. In other words, his ministry was marked, was was, uh, connected to Jesus. In other words, Jesus is saying, that when you do not link greatness to your circumstances, when you do not link greatness to your status, when you don't link it to what you do and you don't do, your religion, and you link it to me, you become the goat. You become the greatest of all time because I am the greatest of all time. And when you're in me, you have everything that I have. So even the least in the kingdom is greater than that because you're linked to me. And so what I want to say as we end here and the band can come up is, do you know Jesus? I'm not asking you if you know religion. I'm not asking you about your religious performance. I'm asking, do you know the one who's the same yesterday, today, and forever? Do you know the one who promised to never, ever leave you or forsake you? And he paid a big price to be able to come through on that promise. He is the one that while you were still sinning, died for you. He paid for your past. He paid for your present. Hallelujah. He paid for your future sin. Do you know him? Do you know Jesus? When he plays the flute, do you dance? When he sings the dirge, do you mourn? Do you know his voice? Many will say on that day, 
I did this and I did that and you should accept me. This is what I achieved. Tears in his eye. He'll say, I never knew you. Do you know him? Greatness can be had, my brothers and sisters. It's not a dream. You're not going to come up empty. He offers something that isn't transit. He offers something that is eternal when you are connected, when you are in Christ, when you are in a relationship with Christ. Do you know him? Would you stand? Father, I, I thank you for your word, but I thank you you've put something in us that makes us full of unrest until we find our rest in you. That makes us anxious until we find our peace in you. That makes us sad until we find our joy in you. You see our pain, you see our weariness and you say, come to me. I have rest for your soul. God, I pray you'd give us the humility to dance when you play the flute. Pray you give us the courage to mourn when you sing the dirge. May we Give us a, a soft heart to respond. God, we don't want to be religious people. We don't want to make this some game we play. God, we want to, we, we want greatness. We want you. Help us to see, Lord Jesus, where we're making it about us. Help us, Lord Jesus, to help us to see it, what, that we're making it about what we, our perspective, what we think is best. God, help us to respond. Whether you're playing the flute, whether you're singing the dirge, God, we want to be a community of people that respond. Because we have found in you is true greatness, Lord Jesus.